what it's camera the is the camera? And it's that. That one. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Whenever you. Okay. I'm loving it. I'm going to add that. <laughs> Make it your your theme song. Yes. Why was that my theme song? <laughs> It is. It is now. Now you know it is. Exactly. (laughs) What's going inside of his head? Right. Hey, everybody. I'm Reverend Maxwell Grant. I'm one of the ministers here at Second Congregational Church, and I'm with my colleague, Reverend Sean Guerin. And what we wanted to do today was just check in for the first time in a while as a video newsletter. We have not done that. That was something that we were really experimenting with and excited about last year, just as the pandemic was beginning. We did a lot of them in March and April. We had that COVID passion. We had that COVID passion. Yes, we did. uh, We haven't done it in a while, but that said, uh, it's been in a kind of an incredible year and we feel like we've learned a lot. I looked at, uh, a couple of days ago, one of the video newsletters that we did in late March of last year, and I, I had such love for us. I felt yeah. like, oh, oh, you they poor, so hope. you poor sweet <laughs> lambs. You yeah. just had no idea what this whole thing we'll was, was going to be. We were saying that. We were saying, we're going to be back at Easter. I literally was like, and when we sing Christ the Lord is risen yeah. today in a couple of weeks, yeah. the, the roof is going to go off the rafters. Well, that has yeah. not happened yet, even uh, though we are back in the sanctuary in a limited and very safe way, and that feels wonderful in its own way. But the world has not returned to what it was. And there's some question now, a deeper question, about what it is that will change about churches and about our world in a more enduring way, given that this has asked so much of us and given that this has lasted as long as it has. And those are important questions. What we want to talk about today is something a little more specific to Second Congregational Church and to its life. And if you don't know, uh, it's really worth checking out. Uh, Sean leads our Evensong service, which is on Saturday nights at 5 p.m., and you can watch here, uh, watch via live stream. And I guess for what, the last couple of months, maybe even a little bit longer than that, uh, Sean has been doing something that we've never done before, and I don't, I don't know of any In other any church <laughs> that is actually doing what first. Sean is doing, <laughs> and uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. What Sean has been up to is putting at the center of that Evensong worship service on Saturday nights a whole lot of texts that if you go to Divinity School you actually know a little bit about. Yeah. And in, in many cases, you know a fair bit about. They're called... More the, so at Yale. Or, yeah. well, or at some divinity Which schools I, yeah, rather yeah. than others, maybe. Um, but they're called non-canonical gospels. So they're ancient texts. They're important texts. They give us a lot of historical information yeah. and give us a real window into the church in the early years of its formation before it was the institution that we know of today, but in the course of gathering the Bible into the 
into the text that we've received and have lived with for a very long time now. These were, these were versions of the stories of Jesus and versions of the stories of the disciples that were not selected to be included yeah. in the Bible, although they were known by the ancient church. Yeah. And so they have a lot to teach us, and they're very, very interesting, but it's a little bit it's a, it's a risky. touchy subject. It's a little bit of a touchy subject. So, so I, we just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a window into yeah. how that has been and, and some of the things that that Evensong community is finding in, in learning about and listening to these, these yeah. texts. So, so, Sean, let me ask you, how did you come up with this idea in the first place? How did, yeah. Where did this come from? Well, some of you know that I, I do, it's the best time to do school, like, you know, part-time, take a f- couple classes, and uh, it's uh, at Blanton Peel Psychoanalytic Institute, and I'm, you know, you study Freud, mm. and then you study Jung, sure. and then you find out Jung is into some very religious, alco- alchemical, you know. Right, uh, right, okay, sure. And it's it's he's trying to find out what's going on in the mind, right? Right. And so religion and myth and folk tales and stories are all part of, uh, you know, they're a part of our imagination. And what he ha- always does is he takes those things very seriously. Okay. So with the Gnostic texts, with the the these books, he kind of gave me this idea of take them seriously. Just for a moment. Uh-huh. And, I, you know, I read his book, The Red Book, and then I started reading some of these, and I, I, I was doing it for like a year. Uh-huh. Because I was like, why, why was this doctor, you know, scientist, psychoanalyst into these texts? Uh-huh. And I went down that rabbit hole. Okay. Uh, and it's been, it's, when I was, I've, I've, I was talking to a friend about it, and he was like, wow, I'd like to learn more about that. Mm. So I just said, you know what? The Gospel of Thomas, it's not even a Gnostic text, really. Right. Uh, and it's one of the earliest texts we have, uh, you know, along with the Gospels. So I did a, a short series on it just to, is this something that mm-hmm. people might be interested in? And it was the parishioners here uh, who went out and they, I suggested you buy a copy. They all bought a copy. Wow. wow. Uh, and it was nice. And when I even said, oh, do you know that there's one of the books is, is about Mary? Right. There, the response from just a few of the women were, oh, woman gospel. We need Interesting. that. Interesting. Interesting. And wow. coming up with Easter, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't think I even did that intentionally. But my wife was like, wow, that teed up really nice because Mary's such a prominent character. Oh, interesting. In the Easter story. Yeah. So that kind of, it just played out unfolded well so i said let let me continue because the response bizarrely <laughs> on thomas and mary you know we used to get a we had our regular audience but now it's it's actually skyrocketed that's right so so talk a little bit about that so a typical even song kind of yeah. uh, community over the course of 
a few days. Again, typically the service is live streamed at 5 p.m. Yeah. on Saturday, and there are, so there are a certain number of people who who watch live. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a, for a long time when COVID began, there were even people who would continue to dress for church even though they yeah. were sitting at home and watching via a computer screen. And so a typical Evensong live audience can be anywhere from, I think, 15 people to about 45 people on a typical day, yeah, somewhere that, in there. Like 15 to 25 okay. is our average uh, attendance. And that used to be live in person, and it was perfect because we had... It was like a little family. We always right. we had a big table, and we all ate. And service ended at like eight thirty. You know, it's two, three hours long, uh, and it's hard to to replace that. Right, right. So the live in person kind of community experience was a worship service, but then also this sort of massively central commitment to community time yeah. and fellowship yeah. and sharing a meal and being together. And, yeah. And right, the bonds within the Evensong community were just, have always been incredibly, incredibly strong. Yeah. And there is that kind of question of, okay, so now it's COVID. It's a different moment. Yeah. What happens now for that community that puts so much of an emphasis on being physically together and sharing in space and time? Yeah, I think... You know, this, we, the people st- still are there online, and now a few of them are, are coming back. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it's, not, it's definitely not the same. Right. Uh, and that makes me, it, it also opens up a, a door mm-hmm. to say, uh, in this t- you know, time of crisis, what would be fun? We need oh, to do something fun. Uh-huh. And it's just fun to, for me at least, I don't view these books as heretical. Any historian is going to say these are primary sources or very secondary sources. Why not look at them? There's there's definitely something of Christianity Mm -hmm. embedded in. This is before the orthodox, you know, before orthodoxy. Right, right. So we get a glimpse at what a church, you know, I, I said in one of my sermons, we would never treat each other the way that those people treated each other (laughs) and one of the comments on facebook was if these two groups coexisted today they would be the best of friends interesting interesting because they wouldn't have that because they were rivals Mm -hmm. the not you know the orthodox church was a little bit of a you know they were rivals with the valentinians who valentinus almost became bishop of rome wow he lost out to some guy who you know, held out in the midst of persecution and was right. almost martyred. Right. So they said, give that. He deserves he it. He deserves <laughs> Bishop. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah. So one of the things that's been really interesting is that now in this online world, while you're offering a kind of window into these texts that most churches don't talk about within the context of their worship life, we've had now hundreds of people who yeah. are tuning in. Yeah. And connecting with... 70 subscribers in one month. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm watching, the, and I get uh, the comments are, thank you for doing this. Mm. 
what, where's your church? <laughs> where, is they, where is this church? Right. Uh, there was literally somebody who says, I'm up in Lyme. I, if me and my husband are going to come down wow. and stop by because, and that's, you know, we got people from Turkey, mm -hmm. uh, Finland, wow. uh, the UK. I could see the, right. it's Australia, wow. India. Uh, I was like, this is the power of the internet. Right. And so our second congregational church is actually Really, and Steve Walker is always the one percent <laughs> of the UK. He watches every single service, but <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. We love you, Steve. So, but, but that's it's so interesting, right? What is it? What is it that people connect with? You know, so you say they're saying thank you for this. What sort of thank you for what? Uh, and a lot of times, these books don't get. You know, they in the academic world, they get the right attention. Uh -huh. The right eyes are reading it. Okay. And so you get a good overview. Pastors bring a totally different toolkit. Tool mm -hmm. So when we're reading, we want to translate it for the everyday. Like, what's the application? Right, sure. And that's an academic, you know, God bless them. I, I right. love reading it. But, you know, not everybody wants, can, can read that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So to have a pastor who's trained in translating it into some kind of application, that's where it's like, what a breath of fresh air. Okay. Because you just told me that when Thomas opens up and says, uh, if you seek, you will find. And if you find, you'll be astonished. And when you're astonished, you'll rule over and mar marvel over all. Mm -hmm. And I tie that into what somebody might go through in therapy. Oh, interesting. Where they go through therapy, their defenses are kind of soothed over, and that vice, that mm. addiction, that uh, trauma that has been haunting you is now in front of your face. You didn't know where it was. It was unconsciously bothering you, and you could deal with it, and you overcome it. And then you say, Thomas says the same thing, mm -hmm. that you'll be astonished when you find out what the real cause of your symptoms are. Mm -hmm. And that's Elaine Pagels who wrote the Gnostic Gospels. She says the early church practiced a form of psychoanalysis. Oh, she says this in chapter 5 and 6. Mm -hmm. So to read an ancient text 2,000 years ago and to just disregard it because some people said it's heretical, the church says that, you know, the church also said Galileo and Copernicus cannot be part of the church because right. of this, right. you know, the heliocentric, geocentric right. models. Right. We didn't always listen mm -hmm. to that. So in this area, I just want to say, let's not, first of all, we're not part of the Catholic church. Right. Right. <laughs> so we fall outside of that boundary. And I, I, so I, I said, it, let's reconsider mm -hmm. and just look at it. And I personally... I am the test. I testify mm -hmm. that it's really helped me understand Jesus better. Mm -hmm. I think I was telling you, I, I've come to the conclusion that it's, you know, the, the Jewish people have, um, a lot of people don't know this, they have an oral tradition that's just so rich, so much, right, so, sure. so rich. I don't want to say so much more, but is much larger in comparison to the written, mm -hmm. surprise, you know, bigger than the Old Testament. And they, they use that material to supplement mm -hmm. the written text. Right. Right. And it's like, you know, you hear a story about, you know, Moses 
and how he, you know, liked going to his garden, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then caught on fire. There's just more. It's a little more embellished. Mm-hmm. And so it adds more depth, like a funny right. narrative. Right. Like Abraham, you'll hear he, he rode on a donkey, and right. the donkey represents physicality. Right. And so when Jesus rides on a donkey, every uh, person in the Bible who rides a donkey is telling a story that they've mastered their physicality. Oh, interesting. So that's something right. that you would never pick up in the text. Right. But if you know the oral tradition... You would say, oh, there's, there was like, Thomas used to say this about Jesus, mm-hmm. and, and he hung out with Jesus on Tuesdays. Right, right. You know, Matthew only saw him on Mondays and, and, and Fridays. Mm-hmm. So there was something that he picked up from Jesus, and the school of thought is, might have continued in that tradition. Like mm-hmm. the Thomasines is actually a sect of Christians right. that still right. exists today. And the Mandians are a set of Gnostics that still exist today. But they're not, like, scary. It's a people group, like uh-huh. the Amish people. Uh-huh. So you, we know how, you know, stereotypes right. and things like that could be. This just seems so, over, like, has anybody ever said, why do we come down so hard on these books? Mm-hmm. And that's been the process. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. Has there been any pushback from people <laughs> who have heard that you're looking into these stories or these accounts, have there been people who say that just feels like a bridge too far? You know, I, you, you've actually taught me a lot about church. Like somebody said to me that church, and you've said this, they just repeated it to me recently that church is the thing that doesn't change. Mm. Like in a chaotic world, especially now, it's what doesn't change. It's, it, it needs to be stable. You know, a lot of us young pastors come in and we say, we need to change the music. Mm. We need to change yeah. this. We need to change that. Uh, and what you've taught me is like this, it's, don't, don't always do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, there's a time and place. Right. So that's why Saturday night, I think, I actually think it's so cool that our church offers two extremely different yeah, services. Right, sure. Um, but I, I'm always empathetic to those who feel threatened by it. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, it always ends like, but yeah, I've, I've, some of my friends are, you know, they know that I'm always a boundary pusher. Uh-huh. Um, so they're not surprised. But some people give me the quick you know this is heresy uh-huh uh why are you doing this uh, you know don't open this door mm-hmm. and you know, one person said you know watched five minutes of it and you're the way you handled that was uh you know not academically uh pure and I, I said, what I wonder. I, I, I said, first, I said, first of all, because uh, it was the longest paragraph. I said, paragraphs are your friend. <laughs> but I also said, you only watched five minutes of it. Mm-hmm. I cite the top scholars mm-hmm. in the field every time I do this because they're teaching me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also had to explain to him, I'm not an academic. Right. That's I I'm. That's what's so unique about this. Right. Okay. It's I'm going. 
I actually use more of the Bible, like the, the Gospels, than I use the Gnostic books because they're not really complete. Like they're, some, they're, they're written, you know, we found fragments. Right. So I actually try to find the Gospel uh, comparative and, and then say, you know, so, you know, Mary, right? Right. It's the Jesus is dead and the disciples are worried. You preached on Mark right. uh, 16, 1 through 8. And then it, it just drops off. Right. This narrative of Gospel of Mary is a perfect, like, addition. Oh, yeah, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Like, right. how could we not? Right. It, it lines up the, the archetypes of the characters. Mm-hmm. Peter's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, very aggressive, just right. like chopping off ears. John is like, be easy on her. Like, you know, like, right. uh, they're just so flip-floppy. And what's, that's, Peter, that's Peter's, like, right. whole character type. So the way you're talking about it, it sounds like the books, the non-canonical Gospels, kind of, they work in a really rich way, kind of symbolically, and uh, they work in terms of deepening the characterization of historical figures that we meet in the traditional Gospels. How about in terms of things that are more doctrinal or more of a kind of from a from the perspective okay. of ethical teaching <laughs> i mean are the are these you know and i sort of get you that one of the things you're trying to push against is this idea of heresy right yeah and that heresy represents in some ways a very institutional way of understanding the message of the gospel okay, yeah, and yeah. so these books were determined by our tradition at an earlier point to not be part of the canon and yeah. we have gone on to develop our common life as a people of faith through the story as told within the context of that canon. Yeah. What I hear you saying is it's not a doctrine thing as you're well, engaging and <laughs> presenting it. Or is that not true? Did you, did you watch the last... I, yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 okay, that is a great, that's the question. Okay. And there is, a, I'll say, nuance to it. Okay. Because I'll go right for it. Jesus dying for our sins. That's. Okay. You know, I was an evangelical. Right. I actually would go on the train and try to convert people to Jesus Christ. Like that, I've done that. Mm-hmm. Back in my youthful days. And this was the script. The script is, you are a sinner. No, I'm not. Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stolen? You are a sinner. Mm-hmm. And God needs to punish you. This is literally the script. Mm-hmm. So focusing on, on atonement, the, yes. the, purpose atonement of, the, pur- the... the purpose of the atonement was, you know, and, and so important to know, important to know <laughs> Thank you for... that there is no single Christian doctrine of the atonement Yes. Historically, this is a big so one. this is something that many Christians, for whom 
thinking about the atonement is pretty natural. Atonement thinking is very much in hymns that if you grew up in a traditional church, there's lots of atonement yeah. in the hymns. There are lots of ways in which atonement as an issue is something that's engaged the attention of the church from very early on. That said, there is no single party line, even within the tradition, about what the atonement is and what, or what the atonement is supposed to mean and how the atonement sort of technically works. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. You know, so, so when you, take a, when you yeah. take a statement like, Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. There are, there are plenty of people who are going to say, I know exactly <laughs> what that means. How could that be unclear? If it's unclear to you, that means that actually you have not been moved by the gospel yet. Yeah, Your yeah. salvation is therefore suspect. Yes. And it's huge. It's a huge it's, so it, it is, it is a, a, a litmus test, a pillar in a yeah. lot of ways, a litmus test for many people about the depth uh, and the, the strength of your Christian convictions. Yeah. With all respect to people who have that perspective, it is nevertheless true that throughout Christian history, Christian communities have been trying to work out yeah. what the atonement is, and there has been a very wide spectrum of perspectives. And so it's not quite so simple to say, well, that is simply heretical. What someone who names something as heresy is doing in that is indicating the kind of norms around their own theology yes. as a community. Yes. There isn't really a position from which any Christian group can definitively proclaim that about another, at least specifically on the doctrine of the atonement, as much as people would be inclined to do I got that. chills because I wish, I, you know, I don't know all that. Like sometimes I, I know atonement, but uh, that actually helps my argument. Yeah, well, right. It helps my I'm case. I'm glad I could help. Uh, well, I, I mean, I feel, I can't say I don't feel like I have those, you know, am I going too deep into the, the heresy, you know, uh -huh. I have that evangelical, you know, the Catholics have their guilt. Right. There is such thing. a thing as evangelical guilt. <laughs> yes, yes, I have right. evangelical right. guilt because this was, this was the script. Right. And I okay. say that yeah. because evangelicals evangelize. Like, right. that's our thing. Right. And we go and we spread the word. And those are your, you know, those people at Easter and Christmas who okay. make sure that you are very... You know, are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. You know, they, they're right. And what that means is, you ha have a particular relationship to a, a personal, certain small yeah. series of 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 core yeah. doctrines. One of those being this very particular view of the atonement. Yes. Okay. So great. So we've now heard Max talk about the atonement for a second. How are you yes. opening that up? It's for changed for me. Yeah. With these texts, how do these how do these texts allow us to understand the atonement in some new ways, or is the atonement not there, which is also then a big shift yeah. for some people? 
One of my big things is that there were a variety of Christianities in the second to third century. Okay. Just as there is today. How many churches are on this block? Sure. And we all do worship a little differently. And there's certain things that are like trademark, you know, that's there. We're congregationalists. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have the big, we're not big on hierarchy structures. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not. We wish there was. Right? <laughs> but we're, we're more democratic, yes. you know, and that's our thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you can always identify. And so we're cool with that today. Like, that's, right. nor- that's, ex- and in the second to third century, they were all cool. With it. it would almost look like it was today. Oh, interesting. It was when it got more formalized. Mm-hmm. That certain groups, you know, just you know, pedagogy of the oppressed. It's right. just they, the oppressed become the oppressor. Uh, but my whole concept, I'm shocked by this because I did wrestle. And I, I, a lot of my friends who've left the church, they don't like the idea that there's a God out there that was, so, I mean, this is what a lot of people interpret that when you're inside it, when you're inside the church, you, you don't hear it like this. When you're outside, it's this is what it sounds like. Why does God so mad at me? Okay. What did I do wrong? Okay. And, you know, we grow up with John 3.16, which is not referring to Jesus' death. It's referring to being born again. But because of crusades and evangelicalism, it gets this idea that God sent his son to die for us. And even a pastor over at another church in town said, I would never do that to my son. Right. And it's almost like you have to change your logic to say, there's a God out there that's so angry and furious with the world that he took it out on his son. And we glorify Jesus for doing that for us right so that in that there's a you know hang high the cross Mm -hmm. because jesus is our big brother right but the way that the you know now we're going long but i think that this is worth it uh the way that this guy valentinus it's called a valentinian christianity and they were they used the old testament as more allegorical and um like Paul writes when he writes in, I think it's in Romans about Sarah and um, Abraham mm-hmm. or Sarah and Hagar, uh, Hagar mm-hmm. right? That was the other woman. I think, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says, we read this like it really happened, but he says, it's a figurative story. It's a metaphor. Interesting. Interesting. Of, of how nations, of how one people group, you know, Adam and Eve turned into two people mm-hmm. groups. And so Valentinus, who's actually said that Paul was his spiritual grandfather. Mm. They, Theotis was somebody who studied under Paul. And Theotis is said to have uh, taught Valentinus. Okay. So he would have been fully into this metaphoric reading of scripture. Okay. And the way that he viewed Jesus' death was not that it's he the way he views everything is not augustinian mm-hmm. uh in that there's original sin right. he would say nobody's born evil we're right. born of the light we are light right. we're from god in the first place 
So what he's saying is that in life, through trauma, through, uh, you know, dysfunction, through all the stuff that happens, especially back then, uh, you know, being socialized into class systems mm -hmm. and that there's a certain, your light gets dimmed. It gets put down a little. Jesus says, don't put a bucket on a light on a hill. Right, right. And that it's, he's saying that's what kind of happens in this world because of error. Okay. And that's the great, you know, that's like right. the bad guy in the story. So, so I'm hearing two things in that, which I, which, both of which seem really important. The first is, on the one hand, the sort of communities of reading and communities of interpretation in the days of the early church themselves had a relationship to Scripture as story yeah. that we tend, we often read very much in that same spirit. And so that sense of finding spiritual lessons in Scripture itself, there's a kind of school of reading that's actually a yes. very ancient yeah. school. Origin. And, and, is, right, is, and yeah. so we've, we are picking up on something that actually the church has done for a yeah. really long time. It's not new. And, yeah. and so that, that's really interesting to me. The other thing that I think kind of connects with the atonement piece that I'm hearing you say is one of the great problems with this idea of a God who would send his, right, his yeah. son uh, down to kind of take one on behalf of humanity yeah. and create a way to kind of worm our way back into heaven gives a very particular and for many people profoundly punishing and alienating Yes vision of who God is. And so we say Scripture is anxious to affirm God is love and, and, and love is this core element of who God is, and yet the version of love that you maybe get in your mind as you try to put those things together is a very, to us, twisted vision of love yeah. and, and a kind of a traumatic and traumatizing. Yeah. Like, why did it have to? Like, why did why did you set the game up like this? Right, exactly. And so, <laughs> so it 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 opens up questions about the goodness of God. Yeah. For people, in a way that then can really have them fall away from church entirely. That 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 the the gospel's ability to speak to them. Yeah and to speak to the, their lives in, in all the complexities that lives have becomes much more difficult for a, for a lot of people if, that, if, if who God is is a, is a being who would do this, yeah. then that doesn't feel like anything that has a message for me yeah. in it at all. You like Jesus, Jesus actually right. becomes more... what becomes more of the God that you would love to have. Right. Okay. Interesting. Right. So you lose a kind of Trinitarian aspect of God. Which well, is... you need Jesus, and this, he's the mediator. Right. Right? Right. If I needed a mediator to talk to you, right. that, that would not be a good... <laughs> well, and, right. And I, I think yes, I'm God in this scenario. So far, I need to I like talk this. to Max. Right. Uh, can we get the mediator? <laughs> well, and I think, I think the other thing that that really opens up, which is really interesting, is, again, what, what's the purpose of Jesus? How are we supposed to not only relate to God if God is this sort of 
stern, punishing force, there is also the question of who, who then is Jesus? If Jesus' only purpose is to be the reason there's a bridge for us to be able to crawl yeah, back to God. Isn't that's that the all, picture? That, the that's cross? All, that's <laughs> all Jesus needs to be. Yeah. The idea of following the teachings of Jesus, living according to the pattern of Jesus, yes. offering ourselves in love and compassion and service to others, love of neighbor, all of these things that are kind of at the heart of what the Christian life is supposed to entail suddenly become not very important at all. Yeah. All that matters is mental agreement with the yeah. fact that God built this bridge, however rickety, through the yeah. death of this person, Jesus. And all you need is to believe in that, and you don't have to believe much else. Yeah. Because all you're doing is getting over the bridge. It's not about living a life in the world in any kind yes. of meaningful way. And that, what you just said becomes the bridge. Right. Rather than, um, I messed up. I'm a mean person. Right. And that's just the way I am. But Jesus will forgive me and cover me. Right. There's no... You know, James 2.26 says, faith without deeds is dead. Right, right. And this idea, Paul writes, grow up in your salvation. Right. You just crave, you, you're just drinking, you don't even crave the milk yet. Right. And he says, I came to you, to the Corinthians, I came to you right. and wanted to teach you more, but you didn't even understand the basic elementary teachings, right. which were your call to Matthew 5.48 to be perfect, therefore, right. to become like your big brother. Right. And that's what Christ becomes for the Valentinians which, and, and for the Christians, right. right? But Valentinians didn't have that term. Right. That was a term just like Christians didn't exist, right? right? The term right. Christians. They went to church with us. Like they right. were in our services. I said in one of the sermons, would we kick somebody out if they go, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's more figurative. Right. Get out of here. Right. Yeah, we, would, <laughs> we would not do that. And they didn't want to be separated from the regular Christians. And that happened. That didn't even happen while Valentinus was alive. That happened afterwards because people continued in his style. Sure. It's Valentinian to be allegorical and right. metaphoric. Okay. So he was – so the picture he paints – and remember, he's not – Jewish. I, I say, you know, like when we go, you know, King David in a Gentile world, they go, no. <laughs> right, right. You know the story of Genesis? No. No, except for the, the first two part. Yeah. The yeah, first they, two books. They, they, you know, it, yeah. smart people would have had access to them and they would have checked it out. Right. But to Gentiles, they don't, they don't have the backstory. Right. And if they did, it actually would be just as confusing as what, you know, to be like, why does God? Why does the God in the Old Testament seem so different than the Jesus you're talking about? Right. Uh, why, why does he, in the Garden he says, "Where are you?" Right. Like, how does God not know where His people are? Right. 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 That. Right. It is not as if the Old Testament is 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 without contradiction, given <laughs> the character of God as the Old Testament books describe and imagine it, and you yeah. know, 
all of that works no matter, <laughs> no matter where you plug into the story, there are always those questions that come up. And, and I think one of, the, one of the things that this is, is allowing us to do is embrace those questions as yes. nevertheless kind of having important wisdom for us and also tracking that it's just kind of part of being a faithful person to be grappling with these yeah. questions yeah. in some way. And, and Christians always have been, and, and Jews do in their own yeah. ways within their own communities they very richly yeah. for yeah. thousands, thousands of years. You know. That's their style. That's and why they're around. Exactly. They, 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 you know, they'll never and, go away. And, you yeah. know, so that's, well, that's all really, really interesting. I want to thank you for tuning in uh, to this conversation and would really, really encourage you, if you do have some time, check out on YouTube the uh, preaching that Sean has done. You've done, let's see, Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Truth. We're, we're, we're going to be into part three this week. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> part two is, is uh, I do give a little preface to That's anybody right. who's who's I just am asking for a little patience mm -hmm. to let me develop uh, the idea the, when I when I preach. Just if you can, just say okay. I love. I've been loving. Sean's a nice guy. He he doesn't want to change my faith. It's not a conversion ser right. sermon. He's just. It's just a learning experience. Right. And I think if you get past the first five minutes, of, of and with an open heart you'll walk away learning something. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has yeah, this been really, really yeah. helpful. We should do it And uh, we, you know, it's, it's fun. fun. You know, it is. This, this is what it's like to actually work in our office. Uh, we just have... The mics are new, right? I'm yeah, like, but that's... Oh, other than that, it's exactly... This is us. But uh, anyway, thank you. God bless you. And we will see you soon. Thank you.